15 verses 50 to 58. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then, we, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Hi, my name's Dan, in case we haven't met before. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at it from verses 35 to 58, so both, both of the readings that we just had then. So it'd be really helpful if you have that open in front of you and you'll be able to follow along. Uh, there's also an outline that will help you as well with that. Uh, but as we come to God's word, uh, let's, let's begin by praying. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. Uh, we pray that as we come to think about it deeply now, uh, that you'd help us to see it as it truly is, uh, your word, the word of God. Uh, please use it to uh, grow us in our love and trust in the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are many things that Christians believe that the rest of the world wouldn't be willing to. Things that other people would say are just silly. We saw one at church camp. There was the cross. There's the idea that God would become man. And then there's the idea, that then there's the claim that the dead can be raised. And when you think about it, how can anyone believe in the resurrection? How can anyone make the claim that a person can come back from the dead? I mean, here is what we know about what happens to a body after it's died and been buried. On day one, it's already begun to decay. Its organs have broken down and its skin will have started changing into a pale colour. By day two, gases will have made the body look bloated. Worms will have begun eating it. And so the body's organisms will have become part of other creatures. Over the following years, it will have dried out completely and decomposed. And then eventually, all that remains is bones. And so when you know all of this, who in their right mind would say that these bones in the ground can come back to life again? And perhaps this is why most worldviews, other than Christianity, don't hold to the resurrection. Hinduism doesn't believe it. Buddhism tries to get away from the idea of a physical body altogether. 
And most secular societies make a mockery of the idea. In the first and second centuries, they would cremate Christians and grind up their bones just to show that the resurrection is nonsense. And so, how can anyone believe in the resurrection? Well, in the passage we just read, this is the way that the Corinthians were thinking too. Because they say in verse 35, how are the dead raised? As if, how can their bones be brought back to life again? And then uh, they ask, with what kind of body will they come? Tell us, will our bodies be old and wrinkly? Or will we come back as babies and need to grow old again? And yet Paul responds to them in verse 36. He says, how foolish. How can you not believe that God can raise the dead? And he will insist that our lifeless bones can be brought back to life again. And he'll do it by arguing for two things. That God will give us bodies that are spiritual and fit for heaven. He'll argue that God will give us spiritual bodies that are fit for heaven. And so firstly, in verses 35 to 49, he argues that God will give us bodies that are spiritual. And he does this first by pointing out that God is able to do a similar thing in nature. Paul tells them sometimes a thing has to die in order for there to be life. So in nature, a plant or a seed will die so that something else can grow from it. And this is a bit like what we see with plants in bushfires. Sometimes it's only when a bushfire comes that the plant will spread seed and then from there new life will come. And Paul's saying, already we see this in nature that life can come from the dead, so it's not unusual. And so it shouldn't be strange for us to think that God could bring life from the dead. And this is what we see in verse 36. Take a look, he says, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And Paul says when God brings life from death, he can give a new body um, from the old one that's died. So picture this, he says, In nature, when you're growing something, you start off with a seed. You put it in the ground and it grows into a plant. And what Paul wants us to see is that the seed and the plant look totally different. So the seed is a a little tiny brown ball and the plant grows tall and green. And we know they're related to each other. The plant comes from the seed. But what happens is God has given the seed a new body. It's become a plant. And so Paul's telling the Corinthians, if God can give something in nature a new body that's died, then it shouldn't be hard to believe that God can give us new bodies after we die. It shouldn't be difficult to think that he will give us a new body that comes from our old body. And this is the picture that he draws in verses 37 to 38. Take a look. He says, When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he's determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. And Paul says that God can make these new bodies different and even greater than before. And he does this by pointing to the fact that God has created lots of different bodies in nature. And we see it in verse 39. He says, Men have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, and fish another. 
We know that he's given the elephant a different body to the giraffe and the giraffe a different body to the monkey. And so God has made all different, all these different bodies. And Paul says he's made heavenly bodies and earthly bodies different to each other because they have different levels of splendour. Heavenly bodies are the sun, moon and stars. And so in verse 40 he says, in nature the splendour of the heavenly bodies, the sun, moon and stars, is one kind and the splendour of the earthly bodies is another because the heavenly bodies stand out and shine in the sky. And even the heavenly bodies are different to each other as well. We see in verse 41, he says, the sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another, and stars another, and stars different from star in splendour. And so he says, God has made some bodies different to others and with more splendour than others. And so it shouldn't be hard to accept that God can give us bodies with more splendour than the ones we have now. Greater bodies than the ones we have now. And what exactly will these bodies be like? Well, he says that they'll be spiritual bodies. And by saying this, he's not saying that they'll be ghostly, as if they'll be souls floating around in nothingness. No, to use someone else's line, uh, he's talking about jazzed up physical life. It'll be physical life, but so much better. Instead of the natural body you have at the moment, you'll have a body that's powered by the Holy Spirit. And so rather than having a body that grows old and gets sick and wears out, you'll have a body with perfect health that goes on forever. And just imagine how good this will be. A week ago, Mel and I decided to watch our wedding DVD again. And afterwards I asked her, how did you find watching it? And she said to me, well, it was actually a mixture of happiness and sadness. Because on one hand, it was great to remember the day. But at the same time, we were surprised to see how much our family and friends, as well as ourselves, had aged in just seven years. Some people whose hair had colour back then was now grey. Some people who were well were now sick. And some people who were in the DVD were no longer with us. And we see this happening all the time in life because our bodies slowly wear out and die. But Paul is saying it won't always be like this. There will be a day when we won't see this happening anymore because God will give us spiritual bodies that will never perish. They'll live on forever. And this is what he says in verses 42 to 44. Take a look. He says, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. And so first, Paul points out from nature that God has given life from death and different kinds of bodies. And so he argues, it's not hard to believe that God will raise us with spiritual bodies. And second, he says, in fact, we've seen this in human history. We've seen in human history he can do this because he's done it with his son, Jesus. And so Paul points out the difference between what Adam and Jesus is like. He says, God made Adam a living being. And so Adam had a a body and a soul like you and me. 
But when God raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus became a life-giving spirit. And so this means God gave him a spiritual body and he's able to give life to others as well. And so Paul is saying, since God has raised Jesus from the dead with a spiritual body, it shouldn't be so hard to believe that God can do the same for us. This is what a man who I spoke with on college mission uh, didn't realise. He challenged me and said, how can anyone know what happens after we die? No one's come back from the dead to tell us what it's like. But here Paul is saying that one has. And so it shouldn't be hard to accept that God can give us a body like his. And this is what we see in verses 44 to 46. Take a look. He says, If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. And Paul says that this is also what we can expect because God has promised us that this is what God has promised us if we belong to Jesus. You see, he says Adam came from the earth and he had a natural body. And Jesus came from heaven and he had a spiritual body. And so Paul says, at the moment, you're like Adam. And so you have a natural body like his. But he says, if you belong to Jesus, then one day you'll be like him and you'll have a spiritual body like his. And so God promises that our bodies will be like Jesus. And that's what he's saying in verses 47 to 49. Take a look. He says, The first man was of the dust of the earth, and the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those of heaven. And just as we've been born in the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So so first, Paul has pointed us to nature and human history to argue that God will give us spiritual bodies. And why is Paul so big on the spiritual body, on the resurrection body? Well, secondly, it's because in heaven you'll need a new body. Your current body isn't fit for it. And so in verses 50 to 58, Paul says that he'll give you a body that's fit for heaven. See, the Corinthians don't realise that you can't get into heaven in your current form. And so Paul tells them, an earthly body can't enter into heaven because one is perishable and the other is imperishable. So the earthly body just isn't suited to being in heaven. And this is what he means in verse 50. He says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And so Paul says to them, God will change your bodies into what they need to be. And he tells them how God will do it. He says, when Jesus returns, some people will have died and some will still be alive. But regardless, they'll all be changed. And the change that happens will be radical. He says, instead of our bodies being earthly, they'll be suited to heaven. Instead of being perishable, they'll become imperishable. And so God will change our bodies so that they're fit for heaven. And take a look at the way he describes it in verses 51 to 53. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. 
in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And he says, when this has happened, we'll have new bodies that have overcome death. And it's because God will have defeated death once and for all. He'll have the final victory over death. See, in verse 56, he, promised, he says the promise will have come true, that death has been swallowed up in victory. And Paul knows that this victory over death is absolutely certain. It's guaranteed. He's so certain of it that he says that Christians don't even need to fear death now. He knows that Christians will still die in this life, but he says that death has lost its sting. It's like a bee that has no stinger. It's nothing to worry about. And so Paul can taunt death. In verse 55 he says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And he does this because he knows the victory over death is guaranteed. And how does he know that it's guaranteed? Well, it's because of Jesus' victory over it. He says the reason why we face death isn't because death is a normal part of life. It's because it's the punishment for our sin, our rebellion against God. But he says Jesus has dealt with this. When Jesus died on the cross, he faced the penalty on our behalf. So we don't need to face death anymore. John Piper says it like this. He says, The keys of death were hung on the inside of Christ's tomb. If any were to be raised, Christ would have to die for them. Enter the tomb, take the keys and unlock the door from the inside. And we know that this is what Jesus has done. He's won victory over death. And so we know that it's only a matter of time then that God will destroy death once and for all and we'll all have bodies that have overcome death. And this is what he says in verses 56 to 57. Take a look. He says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul tells us that we can have assurance that God will raise us with spiritual bodies that are fit with heaven, and these will have overcome death. And knowing this means at least three things for us. And the first thing I want us to see is that for the Christian, death is not the end. You see, ordinarily when someone dies, it seems so final. You go to, the, you go to their funeral to farewell them because you know that you won't see them again in this life. And yet for the Christian, we know that this is not the end. There's still hope because we're sure that God will raise us with new bodies. And this is why Christians in the first century didn't even feel the need to talk about death as being death. Instead, they would say that a person who has died has gone to sleep, because they know that the person would wake up again. And it's also why right throughout history we've buried bodies in the ground, because it's a way of showing that we're anticipating that they'll be raised again. And even then we know that if a body has been cremated, God will, this won't frustrate God's plan. He'll bring the body back together and raise it as well. And because we know that death is not the end, we, don't, we know that we don't need to live in fear of it anymore. 
We don't have to go through life being afraid of what will happen after we die or worrying about where another Christian has gone after they've died. Instead, when we're faced with death, we can be confident that God will raise us. And when another Christian has died, we can grieve with hope because we know that death is not the end. The second thing I want us to remember is that there's hope in suffering. It's because we have hope in death that we have hope in suffering as well. And I'm aware that some of us here tonight will have suffered a lot in life to this point. You'll know what it is to have serious sicknesses and chronic pain. And others here probably won't have suffered too much yet at all. But regardless of whether you've suffered a lot or a little in life, we can all be sure that we will suffer at some point because we have bodies that are slowly breaking down. And yet as Christians, we know that because we have this hope in death, we have a hope in suffering as well. Because whether we're going through something light or severe, short or long-lasting, these bodies that we're in are just temporary. One day God will give us new bodies that won't get sick and won't wear out. They'll live forever. And so when we are going through suffering, can I encourage us, encourage us to look forward to the new bodies that we'll have? You see, when we're suffering, we can come, become consumed with just wanting the suffering that we're going through to go away. And there's nothing wrong with wanting that to happen. That's a good thing. But we have an even better answer to suffering, which we've seen tonight. Because one day we'll have new bodies that won't get sick at all and will live forever. And this is the hope we look forward to in suffering. And thirdly, knowing all of this means that there's purpose in the Christian life. You see, a few weeks ago we saw that if there was no resurrection, then there would be no point to Christianity. We may as well all pack up and go home. But we've seen here that there is good evidence for the resurrection. And we can be sure that God will raise us from the dead. And so this means we can have assurance in our faith. Even when others in our workplaces, our unis and schools, uh, they say to us that that's foolish. How can you believe that? Well, we can be confident and stand firm in the gospel. And it also means that we can go on working hard and serving the Lord in our Christian lives because we know that we're not doing it in vain. We're confident that there's a real hope for us and for others because there will be a resurrection. And this is what Paul also recognises in verse 58. Take a look, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. You see, the rest of the world uh, says that the idea of the resurrection is silly. It just doesn't make sense because we know that in death our bodies break down, they decompose and eventually all that's left is bones. And so they think, how could these bones come back from the dead? But tonight we've seen that, in fact, we can be confident in the resurrection because we know that God will raise our bodies to life again because he's capable of raising us with spiritual bodies that are fit for heaven. And this gives us a great hope because we're sure that death is not the end and that there is life after death. So let's pray.